Welcome to the Key and Mang audio experience where you're here from two up-and-coming therapists looking to enhance the lives of listeners by addressing health, wealth, lifestyle, and overall growth. Tune in to hear the latest lessons learned on the Key and Mang audio experience. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Key and Mang audio experience. I'm your host, Mang. As always, joined by my fellow co-host, Key. Key, what's good? What's up, Mang? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Lovely. Good. Good, good, good. I tell you, we got another special one. We have the opportunity to, to have the creator of the Home Health Mentorship Course, business coach, and just surpassed 250K in online passive income, Dr. Brandon Smith. Brandon, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. I know it took a while to schedule. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad we can make it work. Um, but yeah, thank you for coming on. Um, we just wanted to open up with, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to the point you're at right now. So I can start way back. I can start. I can start a few months back. Like, let me know. Like, start. Start. Uh, PT. Like way back. The PT school. All right. All right. Way back. <laughs> Wait. Which one? Which, which one? Which one are we I going thought, back? I, I thought that was way back. I don't know. <laughs> That's fine. Way back. Way back. That's gonna be a longer, longer. All right. PT school. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> like, like after PT school, during PT school, what? During, 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 PT during, school. Yeah. during, yeah. All right. During PT school. All right. So I'll say that during, I went to PT school from 2015 to 2018. So I'm probably a dino PT by now. Um, but <laughs> that, that being said, um, when I went to PT school, I already had life experience. I already worked before I went to PT school. So a lot of that, like, you're going to do what we say or blah, blah, blah. I was like, nah. Fuck you. Sorry for cursing on your podcast. Uh, but that's <laughs> basically what then happened was like, I remember I went to CSM my second year of PT school. So my first year of PT school, like whatever, it was fine. Um, probably didn't do the best grade wise, but I still passed, right? Still a PT, right? So then my second year, I had an opportunity to present at CSM. I went to CSM and I was just mathematically in my head. I'm like, you know, like my school was probably just tuition alone. The tuition was locked in and it was at that time, $11,000 a semester, not including cost of living loan, loans, plus loans, things like that. So, you know, by the end of that program, you're looking at, I would say $110,000, $111,000, maybe $120,000 just on tuition alone, which wasn't bad at the time. I know schools now are a lot more including that school, right? So at the time it wasn't bad, but I was like, okay, you know, mathematically you're paying this much. Um, I also had to take out some grad plus loans for cost of living, things like that. I also worked, but when I went to CSM, I would go and I talked to people the first time I was there because they're like, you know, let me scan your badge. You can get this, 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 whatever. And I was like, okay, well, what's your starting salary? And they're like $60,000, $62,000. Then I met other people at CSM that were, I was like, hey, you know, I'm trying to, you know, at least make my money back. I would like at least, you know, around six figures, 90 is okay. I really don't care. But if I'm paying this much, why, why would I take half unless I know I'm just like, maybe I just have no idea what's going on or I just don't know any better. And then I ended up talking to people who actually were respected in the profession and I actually had respect for them at the time. And they're like, oh, well, you can make, you know, 100K after 10 years in this profession or you're going to have to take a job at 62K out of school because no one trusts you and all this stuff. And I was just like, OK, well, I'm got too far into PT school to quit right now. <laughs> but, but like, like, and then also at the same time, it was like. I don't really believe you either because I know like I knew home health PTs making 100k I knew of cash pay practices making seven figures and I knew of travelers you know making six six figures in their travel contracts so I was like well this doesn't really make sense and I really don't want to believe it and then like through PT school I ended up 
doing rotations in um, acute care, but then high level athletes where we worked with um, CrossFitters and then some NFL athletes and NBA players and stuff like that towards my end of my clinicals. And I originally thought I was going to go work in like outpatient ortho or do some cash pay. But then when I graduated, I was like, oh, like, thank God I was able to take my boards early. That's one thing I push a lot for students if they're listening to this. If you can take your boards early, take your boards early. Because if you're not able to, you might not have any money coming in. And then you're going to be basically, you know, working a really bad job for your level of education and then just waiting to get, you know, that income coming in. And honestly, I've seen people that weren't able to take a job early because their board's being pushed back by their school. And they lost out on forty dollars to $80,000 and it compounds over time. So something you want to take your boards early, pass first time if you can. And then what you want to do is then go and then work as soon as you can to get that money. But that being said, so when I graduated, I was able to take my boards early. So I got my license pretty close to graduating. And then what happened was I was offered a home health job for on paper, $90,000 in Tampa. I was living in Miami at the time. So I moved to Tampa. I got there. This home health job kind of leads into how I created my course and things along those lines is they're like, oh yeah, well, you said 90 on paper, but you know, not really. And I was like, okay, well, and their whole thing was, you know, we're therapy owned, so you can trust us. And then when I came to find out, the more I worked with them, the more I learned this, like, okay, they were some middleman company that if you just cut them out and go directly to the agency, you can make a six-figure salary. So they were getting paid like, you know, probably $180 per visit I was seeing and paying me $30 to $40 a visit. And then again, like I was just getting like really upset because I was like, okay, well, A, I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I would be making more driving for Uber right now with the cost of gas and the mileage reimbursement and all that too. And then I got to a point where there was one day where they're like, you need to admit this patient. And I was like, no. And they're like, if you don't admit this patient, you're fired. And I was like, that's Medicare fraud. And they're like, that's what we do here. Either either get on board with it or, uh, or we'll report you to the state board. And so I just screenshot all those text messages and actually contacted an attorney. And the attorney was like, yeah, like, fuck these guys. We're going to sue them. And I was like, yeah, that's good. So then what happened was um, I ended up just telling my boss, I was at the time I was like, Hey man, like, you know, I'm not going to be Medicare fraud. You know, here's all your electronics back. Here's this. I don't want any of this. He just started losing this shit. But like it, one thing I'm going to say too, is that, you know, if you ever get threatened, he's like, I'm going to charge you with patient abandonment. It's like, okay, well, if all your notes are complete, they actually cannot charge you with patient abandonment. A lot of poor run companies do that. And what then happens is um, as long as your notes are complete, it's the company's responsibility to continue continuity of care. So just because someone threatens you with that doesn't mean it's your job. So as long as all your notes are complete, if you're quitting your job, you can actually quit at any time as long as you are not the company because the company has that responsibility. A lot of people don't realize that. They feel trapped in the company. They get threatened like that. Again, I just screenshotted that, sent it over to the guy I talked to. And what ended up happening was like, we ended up just parting ways. We didn't actually go to any court or anything like that. But I just screenshot everything because it's like, you know, I'm going to document all of this. Like, hey, commit Medicare fraud or be fired. Hey, commit Medicare. I was like, okay, screenshot, screenshot, screenshot. <laughs> like email all these things to myself. Also, if you're going to be doing that, make sure you email that to a personal email, not a company email, because you will get locked out. You know, once your notes are done, you will get locked out of everything. And they do lock you out, but then you can't be charged with patient abandonment anyway, because they did lock you out of the record. What ended up happening is we ended up just parting ways. Um, people now still ask me about that company and I'm like, nah, you don't want to work for them. Um, but that being said, I chose at that point, cause it was like integrity based, you know, as I paid all this money for school, got my doctor of physical therapy or doctor of physical therapy. And then like, you know, you're going to commit fraud or it's like, you know, I didn't get to go to school and get a DPT to be treated like a little bitch, honestly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to do this. Like, and I got to the point where I was like, okay, well, you know, now I really don't have any money coming in. Um, <laughs> I got to a point where like, 
I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, started like maxing out credit cards, started like just really, really struggling. Um, thank God I had like two months free rent on, on the lease I signed when, when I when I moved there. Um, I ended up actually reaching out to become a travel therapist. And as I was going to be a travel therapist, this guy was like, hey, I have a company in your area. Do you want to come and work for us? We'll give you an offer. We need a PT. Like you have home health experience because I did actually have it from that company. You know, do you want to come and interview tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I went there and they're like, yeah, fuck that company. We hate them too. Here's your offer. And it was like, it was a six figure offer about uh, three months out of school. So, you know, about three months out of school at a hundred thousand dollar offer. And I was like, okay, well, these, this is weird. Cause I was told this wasn't possible. You know I mean? I was told that I would never get this. I'd have to wait years. And it was like, you know, within 90 days of graduating PT school, I had a six figure offer. Um, then what happened is actually, I ended up having breakfast with Greg Todd and Greg Todd was like, you should go make a YouTube video and tell people how they can make 100K on the LPTs. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. So then I started making YouTube content. Um, Cause you know, when you're in Tampa, you eventually run into Greg Todd as a PT, right? So, yeah. uh, so then when I started making YouTube content, then I started just making other content of things like, you know, people need to know, or like, you know, how to basically avoid those companies. Cause, and when I started making that content, people were like, oh yeah, my company's doing this to me too. And then over time, people are like, oh, can you build a course or can I just like talk to you? And as of this day, to speed things up a little bit, currently I've helped 1,000 plus PTs earn 120K on average. So that's over $120 million going to PTs by cutting out these companies and just learning these, these skills and, you know, how they just avoid the predatory PT companies. And then also on top of that, you know, a few of my students, well, I didn't even know, one guy graduated, took my course, he made $200,000 in 11 months. Um, someone else did that too as well. And it's kind of crazy now. Um, how that kind of just evolved into a bunch of other things that I'm doing now as well. But that's kind of like, you know, how I was in PT school, kind of probably a bad student and probably kind of a bad attitude when you really think about it compared to like what they want. <laughs> but, but then it was like, okay, well, it actually paid off. And then also, you know, by me taking a chance of being like, hey, you know, maybe I will just be completely broke for a while where, you know, like, like I got to a point one when I was so poor that like I was literally scraping for change in my car to buy, like buy like a dollar like twinkie from a gas station <laughs> like it's like <laughs> it's like you know yeah i had the car but i was very close to selling it <laughs> you know so like um but i think though from taking that risk though too it makes me able to take a lot more risk because you know like i know what being broke and not able to afford anything is like and because of that i'm able to take more risk because it's like a lot of people we can add this to your podcast um next topic too is or in this session i mean is you know a lot of people would choose comfort over growth right you know, people in bad relationships, people who won't take the risk, people who are afraid to do certain things because they would rather be comfortable because they know that comfort. They might be even like even married and have a wife they don't like or a partner they don't like. And they're like, hey, I hate this person, but I'm comfortable with them, even though they don't support any of my goals or dreams. And whether they could actually, you know, go and chase what they want, choose that growth, get uncomfortable and actually see massive results. But so many people refuse to do that. Can you describe what that looks like in the PT profession, being comfortable? Being comfortable in the PT profession is usually like, hey, I'm going to go work at a mill PT practice. I'm just going to take the 65K a year because I was told this too. I was told this by PT professors in my business class in PT school. It's like, hey, you're going to market to physicians. Hey, you're going to go go and choose you know, to work at a mill, like a core, a select, an ATI, whatever. You're going to get 65K a year, maybe be promoted to clinic manager, you know, get 80K. 
then probably you're going to burn out. Probably when you don't want to do anything else anymore, you're then going to go become a teacher and tell people to do exactly what you just did. That's usually what that looks like. Not all, all the time. Sometimes professors are different than that. Sometimes they have their own practice, things like that. But most of the time, I would say being comfortable in PT is like, hey, this is what the school told me to do. This is what my CI told me to do. This is what someone told me to do, and it's not what I want, but I'm going to accept it because it's what everyone else is doing. Speak. Go ahead, May. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of people telling you what to do, how do you feel about like listening to certain people? Like, what advice would you give for like people like, oh, this person told me to do X, Y, Z? Like, what is your standard for listening to people? Like, so if so if they okay, number one, if they haven't done it, shut up, right? Like I deal with this all the time with home health students and new grads. Like they're like, oh, well, my professor or my CI, they were like, don't do home health until you have five years of acute care experience. And I was like, okay, well, do they, do they have home health experience? No. So why, why would you listen to that person, right? Same thing with making money, stuff like that. People are like, you need to do this, 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 and this. And it's like, okay, well, how much money have you made? Zero dollars. Shut up, bro. Like go, I don't know, go in the corner, do something else. Like, you know, figure out your life. Like, I don't know what's going on, but make sure whoever you're listening to you want to make sure that they've been where you want to go because what's going to happen in doing that, they're going to give you speed. Like for me in the home health course, um, even some investing stuff too, but the home health course we're talking about now, you know, I give them speed, you know, they don't, they don't know when they graduate, how to write the home health frequency. They don't know how to use the EMRs that I cover in there. They don't know how to write orders. They don't know how to do a lot of these things, or, you know, even the note templates that are in there that are different. They're the starter care walkthroughs and, and med recs. They don't know how to do those things. So, you know, I give them speed because I, I did it. I built a course on it. Um, same thing with business coaching, things along those lines. You know, if someone's been higher than where you want to be and they have the social proof, then you really want to go and learn from them. Where a lot of people will just talk and they literally have no social proof, no idea what they're doing. Um, something I do personally, you know, when I post my my awards from Kajabi and stuff like that, the reason why I post those is so people can be like, okay, like he has the social proof. And also I know I'm kind of a dick sometimes because someone will be like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, okay, bro, where's your quarter mill award? Yeah, it's not there, right? So like, you know, there's things that I do that I know are kind of dickish like that, but it also proves a point. Does that answer your question? Definitely answers the question. I just like to know people's opinion on that because some people just think that, you know, Maybe you don't need the experience or can give advice on certain things, even if you, even if you haven't done it. So I kind of have the same viewpoint as you. Yeah, I mean, if people have done it and you listen to them, you're going to get a lot of speed. I'll tell you right now, you know, I did a lot of things on my own, probably. Well, I did a lot of things on my own. Then like so having that breakfast with Greg, that gave me some speed for the YouTube stuff. I've been working with, with Aaron now for the past year or so. That gave me a massive amount of speed because he knows how to grow a seven-figure coaching business. So it's like, that's kind of what I'm trying to do. But along those lines, like, had I not done that, I'm 100% positive. Well, I got there by myself. Sure. But it would have taken me a lot, lot longer. So you always want to listen to people who have been there before, even if that costs money up front to pay for, because that's going to give you so much speed. And I don't know what it is with PT. It's like people say this all the time. It's like the crabs in the bucket mentality. Um, even when I post stuff on um, like DPT students groups, things like that, people are like, why is this guy even making a comment? This dude's been canceled. I'm like, bro, I'm just following myself to a private platform. Like, I'm just like, you know, like, I'm just trying to like give advice, like, you know, for people that actually want it, not people that like just want to be mediocre. And um, people get mad at me for saying that, but it's like, you know, you have to have certain goals in your life and that can be a financial goal, it can be a personal goal, it can be whatever fulfills you. 
But if you're not actively achieving those and actually setting new goals on a consistent basis, you're probably not going to be happy with wh where you end up. So when you have students that are making 213, over 200K on home health mentorship core from the learning from the home health mentorship course, you're not, it's not just like have being a DPT and having those skills. Are there other skills that PTs need to have to be able to earn that kind of high, higher 1% income from just being in the clinical world? So for that, they need to be willing to work, right? That you're going to be working. You're going to be also negotiating. It's going to start off with negotiating a high value system or a high value point scale, or it depends on the point system and the pay and stuff like that. But realistically, whether it's outpatient, home health, whatever, you need to know how to negotiate to an extent, right? I see too many people, they're like, well, this is my first offer and I just accepted it. And I was like, you, you never countered it. You, ne you never like went back and asked for more money or even see if they could give you more. Sometimes they can't give you more and that's fine. But if you don't ask, you never know, right? Uh, for the people that make 200K, they do work aggressively. They work maybe six, seven days a week, but they do this on purpose. They do it with intent. They do it for one to two years where they know that they're going to work weekends. But when they work weekends, usually in their contract, they have something that's like, hey, you get an extra $150 a day you work on the weekend or an extra point added through the point system and home health. Or you can go and you can get, you know, if you work in rural areas for, for a certain company or travel, you can get certain incentives for other counties or rural locations, things along those lines. Um, myself personally, when I was working in, in rural Alabama for Kindred, I was making, I think, $77 a point and I was hitting like 30 points a week. But then also if I would go to another county, I would get an extra $1,500 a week. And if I worked weekends, I would get $150 a day on top of that. So there was some months that I was taking home, you know, fourteen to $18,000. And then I have other people in Florida who've done the same thing, either through contracting their own businesses or doing things like that. And they work hard, but this will burn you out. I'm not going to tell you it's not going to burn you out. It's going to burn you out, but you're getting paid so high that if you can use that money to then invest in other things, whether it's your business, whether it's stocks, crypto, whatever, or real estate, whatever it's going to be. The fact is though, like you're, you know that you're going to burn yourself out for the money for the first, you know, one, two years, but then honestly, you're able to kind of just step back. And if you invested properly, whether it's your business or whatever, it's like, okay, well now I can step back and just kind of chill. You know, even if you put it in something like safe, like uh, Tesla, Apple, Microsoft, things like that, what's then going to happen is you can get dividends, you can get passive income, you can get these things along these lines, or just even in your business that it's like, yeah, you grinded, but you only grinded for two or three years. And now you're just kind of chilling where that would take you way longer in an outpatient setting and especially in the acute care setting, things along those lines. And I tell people that because, you know, yeah, you can probably make 120 to 150K working five days a week in home health. But if you want to get to that 200 level, you need to be willing to grow. So then once you went from, you started out coming out of school, like struggling financially, wondering where your next meal is going to come from, how you're going to survive to suddenly making 15, 16,000 months by grinding. How did you not, how did you continue to stay, make good decisions with your money and making sure you didn't blow it all now that you just got a, you know, you got a pay bump? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think with that, part of it was when I was living in Florida for the $100,000 job, I didn't even go to this part. So $100,000 job in Florida, I was in Tampa for about a year and a half. And then PDGM happened. And then PDGM was like, oh, Thousands of therapists got fired across the country. People, especially the APTA, does not care about Part A therapists. Uh, there's PDPM earlier, and then a few months later, there's PDGM, and thousands of therapists, all the high-paying therapists got laid off because of Medicare cuts. And you know, people would post about this like on 
He's like, oh, whatever, you're part A PD. And like, nobody cared. But guess what? A year later, part B starts, part B cuts start coming and they continue to come. So like, it's almost like they, the C, CM, uh, yeah, CMS Center for Medicare Services has been cutting therapy pay, honestly, since 2019. And it's going to continue to cut it. Actually, if you go and watch those videos, the guy that actually presents that's like in charge of therapy cuts, he's like, look, this is therapy. We're going to cut that. He's like, he's such a dick about it and so open about it. And like, people don't realize that like he's actually purposely cutting therapy just because he doesn't like therapists. I don't know, maybe his like ex-wife was a therapist or something. I really don't know because he's like, he really hates it if you watch these videos. But that being said, anyway, uh, so I worked about $100,000 salary for maybe a year and a half and then PDGM happened. And then they were like, okay, well, you know, we're going to cut you from this position. But, you know, you, there's a corporate position in the Keys. I went to the Keys for about a day. And then they're like, you need to do this, this, and this and market to physicians. And I was like, nah. And they're like, you're fired. So, so I spent about a day in the keys as a corporate director. And then I got fired for saying no. Um, and then, and then I became a traveler. So then I got a travel contract in Eufaula, Alabama. Um, my wife now was my, was my girlfriend then was actually in med school in uh, Dothan, Alabama, which is close. So I was able to go up there, find housing and things like that. And start my first travel contract in outpatient. I actually went back to, back to outpatient for about a few months. Uh, in Ufala, Alabama, which is fine because it was all one-on-one -on -one and I only did evals and would just pass everything off to the PTAs. And the, the pay was actually very, very well. I only worked four days a week. My travel contract was like four 10-hour days. Uh, but realistically, the clinic was only open 36 hours. So I was getting a 40-hour guarantee of, I think like after paying everything that, like maybe at that time, like 1900 for outpatient and only working one-on-one -on -one with most people. But then what happened at that time too, is I also picked up a PRN home health contract because now I had about a year a year or so of home health experience. Um, then I went to go work with Kindred, was doing that PRN. So what I was doing, I was doing travel contract four days a week, PRN home health, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I was taking home probably three to 4K a week. And then COVID happened and they're like, your travel contract is now canceled. So, so then, but what happened at that time is then... Um, then they're like, okay, well, we have all these COVID patients. So do you want to work, you know, full-time even though you're PRN for Kindred? And I was like, yeah. And so that's kind of like where that went. I forgot what the main part of the question was. I'm sorry. It was a long story. It was, how do you, now that you started to make more money, how do you not, how do you continue to make good decisions with oh, your yeah, money to, yeah, to yeah. grow it? Yeah. So, okay. So that's, yeah. Back to my, so, so what I'm saying is uh, I was in Alabama, right? So Alabama, um, now I'm in Alabama. I don't know if anyone's been in Alabama, but it's very, very cheap to live in Alabama. I think the average salary in the town that we were living in was like $20,000 a year. So we were able to, you know, live very, and that's Alabama's own fault too, because like the roads are all fucked up. They don't have a lottery system because it's like not in the Bible to have a lottery system. So like, you know, Alabama is just not doing well and they're doing it to themselves. Right. But, um, you know, but what was crazy about that experience too, is like, I was able to just save so much because I was making so much, but the cost of living was so incredibly low. Like, you know, if you're in like San Francisco or New York, it's going to be much harder to do that. But when you're in a rural area, it, it's going to be there. I will say that what was crazy about Alabama that I really liked though, it gave me a big perspective on life because it's like, you know, when you're going like to these trailers and you're like, oh, this dude's cooking meth and he's going to shoot me, you know, or you're going out like into the country and like these houses look like they're from horror movies. You're like, oh, am I going to die today? And like, you know, or you just see like such poverty and things like that, that it's like, okay, like it gives you a big perspective on like how like, you know, people actually live in like part of the country that no one really cares about. And I think though, too, like that kind of gives you more perspective as a clinician, but also it's almost like, okay, well, I think that, you know, obviously, and maybe they're born out here, they, they can't change their situation. 
and things like that. But you know, if you, now with the internet or you, if you have the knowledge to change your situation, I firmly believe, and people get mad at me for saying this, but like, you know, like if you're born, you know, in rural Alabama to a farm or wherever, and you just don't know anything, but like how to milk cows and like, that's all, you know, right. And that's all, you know, like money. That's all that you're, you just, you're there, right. You just have no information. That's all you can do. That's fine. But if you have information, like, you know, on how to make more money, how to work harder, how to change your situation and you choose not to, which is, you know, 99% of probably people, um, at least in the U S then to me, it shows a lack of initiative and it shows that a lot of people are not willing to actually, again, take that risk to, you know, to grow as a person, uh, whether it's just personally, professionally, all of those things, because I think that everyone has the ability to achieve whatever they want. Just most people choose not to do it. But that all being said, back to the main point, the reason I was able to save so much and do things was because the cost of living was so low. And that's kind of how I ended up living there. Sorry when for that did long, you, this long tangent. <laughs> it's okay. So when did you, you were making all that money. When did you get into like investing, crypto, um, things like that? So as a home health PT, you have a lot of time on your hands because realistically, I mostly work like 10 to 2 because no one wants to see me before 10. No one wants to be seen after 2. I know lots of driving too in the country. Um, thank God I had self-service, but like, you know, I'm driving in the country for hours, like no one on the road. I'm just checking, you know, my brokerage accounts, things like that. And like, there's, I got to a point where I was like, okay, like, you know, um, let me start learning more about call options. I knew about stocks and stuff from the time I actually graduated PT school. I didn't start trading options though until I was a home health PT because I had the extra capital, right? I was like, okay. I have the extra capital. Let me just go and do this. I was following Wall Street bets for a bit, was doing a few other things. But then what happened is I started getting actually consistently good at it to an extent where it was like, okay, like, you know, you you win some, you lose some. But it got to a point where it's like, even if I lost, I would make it back up the next week. And then it went and it just kept going like that. And then eventually what happened is, um, you know, I turned $1,500 into $180,000 last year. And I turned 10K into 40K. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I really need to sit down and like start really like learning all of this stuff, like more uh, more specifically. And actually what's kind of crazy is even this past week, um, fast forwarding a huge bit here, this past week, like I do the uh, the weekly trading calls in my private coaching group, you know, we've been charting and stuff like that. And like almost everything we charted this past week has like hit instantly. And I was like, oh, why couldn't I have done this when I was just guessing a few years ago? <laughs> so like, it just takes time though. So then what would you say <clears throat> to someone who has no idea of getting into the investing game and wants to learn how to get into the investing game? What two to three things would you say for them to focus on? So it depends on what they want to invest in, right? Right now, I really don't recommend anybody invest in crypto because the market is very volatile. It's a sideways market, kind of a bear market. I can see Bitcoin going to twelve dollars to $20,000 like overnight sometime. And people are going to be like, oh, where did my money go? Don't really recommend that. As far as stocks, you know, I would say start value investing or start setting money aside. Uh, for real estate, if you want to do that instead, start setting money aside. Figure out what investment you want to do. If you want to mess around with the stock market, pick something that you know is going to be here for a while, like Apple, Microsoft, AMD, things along those lines. Those companies that are safer, just start, you know, building your portfolio up or doing monthly recurring investments. Uh, but the most important thing everyone needs to do, and I really emphasize this because people don't realize that they're like, oh, well, like, you know, millionaires have seven streams of income and all this stuff. And it's like most people, though, started with one. The first thing that you need to do if you want to invest all this stuff is get your income as high as possible. Once you get your one source of income as high as possible, that's when you diversify. Because if you, you know, if you are trying to throw money in the stock market, and not really know what you're doing, when you could be, you know, maybe working harder, still trading time for money to an extent, 
or doing something that you could, you know, get an incentive, maybe you're marketing for your practice, maybe you're doing cash pay, maybe there's things along those lines where you can actually make a higher return. You want to do those things first. So then if, how do you know when you maxed out working at a, at a place? Like, how do you know when you've made enough capital to start venturing off into other, other things? So it depends, right? Like an outpatient, you're probably going to max out between 80 and 100K, right? And there's probably nothing else you can do. You could even go talk to the owner and say, hey, if I do your marketing, if I run Facebook ads, if I do these things, you'll kind of get more money. Maybe, right? For some people, that does work. Um, that being said, usually, though, what you want more than anything is your time back. So you need to start getting a thing where, you know, you're getting your time back. As I said, you may burn yourself out at first. You may work hard to get to a certain point. But usually what happens is you have some form, some form of passive income, whether through its investments or something. So you'll know that you're working. Let me well, go back a bit. So if you're at a point where you're like super burnt out, don't want to go into work, don't care about your patients, then yeah, you've maxed out working. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you've, you've maxed out how working. Um, but that being said, like I told everyone to like, as you're working, you know, if you're only working 40 hours a week, you still probably have 200 days in the week. You may not want to do it, but if you want to be successful and get out of your current situation, you need to start working on your business. You need to take time to work on your business. And then what happens by working on your business, you'll start building a second stream of income. Now, if it's not a business, it could be investments. It can be whatever. Obviously, it's hard to invest in the stock market on the weekend. So that's a bit different, right? But that being said, what happens is you'll get to a point where whatever you're doing on the side should at least start to build some money to supplement your income. Now, the tricky part is what's really going to happen is you'll get to a point where most likely that supplemental income will actually replace the income from your job. Now, what you can do is you can do both, or you can hire people to kind of run your business for you, like VAs and things like that to scale. But what's ultimately going to happen is this happened to me. So I'm going to just tell you what happened to me. So like I was making on the low end, like, you know, when I decided to fully leave my job, I was like, okay, as long as I can make $6,000 a month, which was less than I was making, but you know, that's still $100,000 a year salary after tax. I was like, if I can make $6,000 a month after tax, that's hundred K a year for my online businesses. And that's when I will quit my job because I was thinking like an employee. But what then happened is I quit my job and I was like, oh, running a business costs way more money than paying myself. So like, and I was like, okay, realistically, I probably needed eight, 10 K to really do that. So, you know, whatever number you have, the number you need is a bit higher. But again, to kind of segue this into this point, it's almost like if you are just working 40 hours a week and that's all you're doing, you're just going to stay there forever. If you want to do something more, the fastest way to do that is to build a business. The investing stuff and things along those lines can happen if you aren't working, you know, during trading hours and things along those lines, but if you're working during trading hours, it's going to be much harder for you to do so. I would say the number one thing most people can do is build a business. And the reason I say this too, though, especially in healthcare is, you know, a state board can come take your license away. It doesn't matter about your degree. It doesn't matter how much money you pay for school. It doesn't matter about your debt. It doesn't matter. Anything like that. A state board can take your license away. And then guess what? You can't go work as a PT anymore. But if you have a business, it doesn't really affect you, right? So that's something to consider as well. What advice would you give to people who are trying to create a business? Like, is there, are there checkpoints to hit? Are there uh, areas to avoid common pitfalls? So I would say when it comes to creating a business, you want to find out what you want to do, what people want you to do, and what's going to make you money, right? And so say it's not what you want to do, but people want to pay you for it and it's going to make you money. Well, you may not want to do it, but it's one of the fastest ways to grow your business. Another thing is building an audience, getting people to know, like, and trust you. It's a big thing that I dial down with a lot of people. A lot of people, though, just don't take action. It doesn't matter if it's perfect. If you just take action, you will build your business faster than anyone else. 
I deal with a lot of people that I've coached personally, where they're like, well, the lighting wasn't right. So I deleted my video. And I'm like, bro, you just went 10 steps backwards. Like as long as done is better than perfect. Right. So when you're building a, when you're building a business, I feel like people try to do too many things at once. So um, like with you, with the discord, like I'm assuming that, well, I know that you started with just your business and then you started to transition to the discord. Like what is, what is the steps to getting to that point? What are the steps to getting to that point? So when it comes to that, you have to realize that a lot of people, especially PTs, and you'll see this all the time. You'll see people be like, oh, come buy my course or whatever. Like, you know, uh, teach you how to build your business. You go, you buy the course and it teaches you how to build a job. It doesn't teach you how to build a business. The difference between a job and a business is you're not working 48 hours, 80 hours a week on your business. Starting off, you have to, right? Starting off, anything, you're going to have to. But whether you're building a business, you actually, if you're building a true business where you're only going to work, you know, two hours a week, you're going to have to delegate, you're going to have to do things. But also you want to build something that's scalable and you're going to get you your time back. The ultimate goal of building a business, ultimate goal of making money is to buy your time back, right? So you can enjoy time with your family, all those things, do whatever you want, right? So because of that, a lot of people don't realize that. So what they do, what they do is I see this a lot with the PTs. They're like, oh, you know, let's go build a mobile PT business. If you're the PT building a mobile PT business, you're basically building yourself a new job. And when you're doing that, it's very hard to scale, very hard to hire. Um, the Discord, for an example, with me was I actually was in a lot of trading discords, a lot of other discords. And I was like, well, hey, there's really nothing like this in PT. I'm going to go and build this and see if it works. I offered, I also gave an incentive that a lot of people aren't willing to give. I was like, hey, you know, like if you get in at the early rate, you actually get free coffee. So it's actually free when it started because people actually actually was willing to lose money for uh, for 90 days. And, you know, if you're willing to lose money in the short term, what actually happens, though, because I was willing to take that risk of losing money in the short term for a bigger long term gain, it paid off well. So a lot of people are like, hey, I don't want to lose money for 90 days. Uh, but, you know, if you can you know, take a hit for 90 days or so and then know that you're going to make it back and scale your business and get, get people you know into your business, things like that. And it's easier to scale. It's more of a hands-off business too. By doing so, you're going to be able to scale so much faster. You know, when you're doing like a either in-person business or like a clinic, it's very easy to get that business $10,000 a month. When it comes to an online business, it's very hard to get $10,000 a month. But the difference is though, even though it's easy to get the in-person business to 10K a month, it's very hard to scale up to $70,000 a month. However, once you get the online business to 10K a month, it's very easy to scale to $70,000 a month. So it's like give or take, you know, how much do you, do you really want the end goal of, you know, making 40 to $70,000 a month by, you know, struggling for a year or so of just building your business or even taking a loss at first? Or do you want the easy way where you're, where you're going to be kind of capped kind of early? really depends on you, but it's going to be, people don't really like, a lot of people, again, don't want to take risk, um, aren't willing to do things. And also I was able to do that though, because, you know, I was living cheaply and I had money invested and I was like, okay, it's okay if I lose this because of this. And that's why I say, get your income up first. So you can take a bit more risk. So then you talked about how it's making that initial jump. You're going to have to grind to make that initial jump from $0 a month to 10K a month. And then the jump from 10K to 40K a month. What was how was that first 10k online for you what was that process like of kind of grinding through it figuring out the ins and outs and like really how hard was it for you to get that first 10k online so it actually was really hard because a i even mentioned this when i graduated pt school i actually had a fitness and nutrition coaching business because i was doing macros and things like that and like i was like shredded when i graduated pt school so i was doing all these things for fitness and nutrition when i graduated pt school um, so I made a few hundred dollars there, but I actually ended up shutting it down because people weren't being accountable. And the reason they weren't being accountable is I wasn't charging enough. 
So I just ended up leaving that because I just wanted to deal with it anymore. When it came to the home health stuff, which is really when that like probably got me 10K relatively quickly, actually, um, was just start making content on YouTube, make content on YouTube. People found me, people asked for a course. When I made the Facebook group and released the course and all these things, you know, I was, I still wasn't charging enough. I was charging way too little, but probably the first 10K probably took about a year. However, had I actually spent more time working on my business and had actually charged appropriately, I would have got there a lot faster. So then how do you know what to, what to charge your products at? If you're starting out and you don't have that, that person testimonials yet, but you know, you think it's, it's heading in the right direction. How do you know where to set your price points up? So starting out completely, it's okay to start lower because you just don't know you don't know the market, right? You could build an amazing product and nobody could buy it, right? That being said, um, when it comes to other things like trials and things like that, I even cap mine around three days now. And the reason I do that is because I was having a 14-day trial and what happened was people would ask all these questions and then leave. And I was like, you just got all this information and like, you just left. Like, so like, you know, it was just kind of frustrating. Um, but I would say starting off, you know, if you have a friend or family member or something you trust that can give you a testimonial, something like that, go ahead. But also it really doesn't matter though. If you really think about it, it's like, can you solve their problem, right? If you have no clients, but you know, you can solve someone's problem and you can communicate to them that you can solve their problem. They're probably going to be willing to pay whatever. That being said, I always recommend you give two options, right? So say you're selling something, I would always recommend you give two options. If you give one option, it's much easier for them to say no. But if you give two options, you can do an assumes close on the sale. So what you could do is you could say, hey, you know, I have this product at this price, but if you get this product, you know, what if you buy this within 72 hours, it's this price. I do this all the time in my coaching business. I do this all the time, like, because there's a time deadline, right? And usually when that happens, they pick the lower priced item always, but like you actually go into that planning to sell the lower priced item. They're just like, okay, well, you know, if it's $200 more, but if I get it in 72 hours, it's $200 less, whatever, they're more likely to buy that because they already have the assumed close there. That's something that like, too, you have to believe you can help them. Like don't sell your product to people if you don't believe you can help them. Right. Um, but you always want to have two offers and have the assumed close where you assume they're going to buy at least one of them. Another thing you could do is you could have the same thing there, but then some ridiculous offer where you're like, you know, this is 400, this is 200 in the next 72 hours, or, you know, it's a thousand dollars for this. And most people would then resort to the middle. That's usually what happens. Some people stick the lowest offer, uh, but maybe you get some person that's like, money's no issue to me. You know, I want the thousand dollar option. And then you get something crazy like that. Then you think more of your time though, usually depending on what you're selling. But when you do these, you have to understand that like any sort of sale process, I know PTs don't like sales, but it's like, if you want to make money, you need sales. And like your company is probably marketing to physicians or patients like the same way, right? On the sale or the insurance or the copay or the experience, all these things. But when it comes to truly making sales, the biggest thing I've seen PTs do is even older PTs with established businesses is they're like, hey, yeah, it's this price. Just reach out to me whenever. And then three years later, they're like, hey, man, you said reach out whenever. Here's a screenshot. It's still this price. And it's like a three-year-old price. And it's like, you never set a time deadline. And now you're selling something that like, you know, because you said it here and they screenshot it, you're selling something at a much lower rate than the current rate because of the screenshot. Or they don't take you seriously because they think they can just buy it whenever. You always have some sort of time deadline when you're selling something. It's going to help you close a lot more sales. How do you feel about um, like having people come on sales calls in order to sell your product, especially when you're like tight on time, do you think is beneficial? 
So I do do sales calls now. It actually helps help me grow my business significantly. But my sales calls are a bit different where there's an application process where they go, they felt the application, they almost sell themselves on the program before they book the call. And then when they book the call, there's a calendar link only at certain times, which is purposely limited availability. So like if they're not going to book the call, sometimes there is an issue where I have to reach out to people because sometimes the calendar doesn't connect to the type form properly. But the, by the time they get to the end where they book the call, they have already sold themselves on the program. And because of that, you know, when I talk to them, I'm like, okay, well, let me put your application. You said this, 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 and this. It's like, okay, usually, yeah, I can help you with that. You know, um, these are the rates. And, and then we go through. I, I don't cold DM anybody unless like they filled out the application and then they like they didn't book the call because there's a calendar issue with the type form issue. But I would say I don't really recommend cold DMing people or anything like that. Like I've only ever messaged people who have filled out the application because I think that just cold DMing people means you can't get sales. And it's okay if you're there right now. But I would personally get organic sales first. I think the biggest thing of getting organic sales first shows that you have more of a valuable product. So when you're, so when you're first starting out, and like it's hard for you to get those organic sales, what do you recommend doing? Work harder. Okay. <laughs> All right. So say you're working harder and you have a couple of sales, right? What do you do from that point? Do you just like use the type form or, or like a system to weed out the people and do it that way? Or is there like a step in between that? So, so obviously you always want to reach out to current clients for referrals, right? That's what you always start with your current clients, current clients, reach out to them for referrals. Then when it goes on though, you have to understand businesses too. Businesses are going to have highs and lows, right? So you're never going to be up. You're never going to be down. Uh, you know, personally last summer I made $40,000 in a week. So like, I was like, oh, this'd be nice. It's every week. Right. Have I made $40,000 in a week since then from, you know, sales? No. Um, but like, you know, I know that was a high point the past few months, especially summer, especially like going into recession and stuff like that. My sales have been lower and like, but I understand that, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. You're going to be high. You're going to be low, but you're always going to go back and forth. So it's just about keep about um, mostly just consistency. And you just keep moving forward. Cause what happens with a lot of people is like, they get frustrated. Like say they've had a few sales, and then it slows down, they get frustrated and then they quit. Where then what's going to happen is they're going to see somebody else who maybe was behind them, who just didn't give up. And guess what? Now their business is parabolic, right? They're having lots of success, things along those lines. Kind of what's happened to me a bit with some of my stuff I'm doing now. But, you know, people are like, yeah, I've been doing this now for four years since I graduated PT school of putting out content consistently, helping people consistently, doing things consistently. And, you know, like I probably am now probably going into $20,000 months on a consistent basis, um, just from just passively working two, two hours a week or so. And that's not even including my courses or other stuff that I do, but like, it took me a long time to get here, but had I given up, I never would have gotten here. You know, there was months at a time where I had no sales, right. For anything. Um, and you have to understand that's going to happen to everybody. You're going to even do things, think it's going to work out really, really well. And then nobody's going to show up. Nobody's going to apply. Nobody's going to do certain things. Even with my um my coaching stuff that I've been doing recently, you know, people are like, yeah, I'm interested. And then like, I would message them. And then I was like, oh, I like, you know, like whatever, like I, my, I just had a baby, like, okay, that's fine. Like obviously life stuff happens, whatever. Uh, but I would say that, you know, I messaged them. I said, hey, reach out to me when, when you want to, Um, you know, like just if you're interested, whatever. Uh, you know, connect with people, make connections, help them, even if they're not going to be a potential client, because, you know, building relationships is going to help you get a lot further in the long run. 
Um, also, you want to talk to more people. The more people you know, the more people you're going to help over time. Again, those can be consistency and content. Um, and again, when it comes to content, personally for me, I think that, yeah, I do make sales through Instagram and things like that. But I will say, mostly for me, what's been the most helpful for me is honestly my YouTube. Because again, YouTube is owned by Google. So when people are searching for stuff on Google, then my video comes up as a result. They reach out to me, they email me, they join the Discord, things along those lines, or just the own, own network of PTs. You know, people in the Discord refer people to the Discord all the time because of people I've helped there. Like, for example, yesterday or two days ago, I posted a call option in there. Everyone that got an option made 40% minimum, some made 350%. So it's like, you know, if they're making, you know, getting results, then you're going to get more clients too. So you got to make sure you're getting results too. That's going to be the biggest thing is getting results for your clients on a consistent basis and then marketing that to the public and marketing that you can help solve their problem. Again, though, it is going to take time. So you've talked about time and talked about consistency. You've talked about resilience. Have you always been like this or is this something you had to learn how to do to be a big player in the game? So I would say I had to learn it inadvertently. Like growing up, so my dad was actually a pretty well-known um, surgeon growing up. But he was also a douchebag that left my mom. So I grew up in a single mom household, right? And um, so like I grew up like on free lunch. Like I grew up, you know, like where I saw both both basically both worlds, you know, growing up on free lunch, like the struggling in a single mother household to then spending time with my dad where he's like, Oh, I'm going to tip the valet $500. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like, so like, you know, you see, you see, you see both sides, but then what happened is uh, by the time I was 19 or 20, um, well, around 19, my dad died. And then at uh, 20, my mom died suddenly. So I've been on my own since I was early twenties, right? I had, I had estates to settle. I had animals to take care of. I had all this stuff to do where it was like, okay, you know, like as a, as a younger adult, like I lost both my parents had no support systems, nothing going on. It was like, you know, I could go and, you know, do a bunch of drugs or I could actually like try to keep going forward. Right. So like, I got to a point where, yeah, I probably did like go down a dark area for a while where I was like, probably like out, like just with the wrong people doing stuff like that. But then like, I just was like, okay, well at that time, I really didn't know as much as I know now. And I was like, okay, well, if I can, you know, go and get an education and do these things, like, you know, maybe I'll, it'll pay off. Ended up going and getting a, well, first I got an associate's degree from a community college because it was cheap, which was the smartest financial, smart financial decision to make. Then I got a BA in biology, which was, um, didn't allow me to do shit, but deliver food. So if you're an undergrad, you know, go get a nursing degree, something that's going to make you money. Don't get a science degree because you're just going to be able to deliver food with that. But like... But like realistically from like having those experiences and then like working on, on myself and like, you know, realizing like, Hey, like, you know, I have no one to rely on. There's like, there's no backup plan. Like I can't be like, Hey, I need money. Hey, I need this. It's like, you know, it's all me. Um, I think from going through that, it's made me more like, you know, I understand that, you know, again, I say this all the time, you know, time is really the most valuable asset. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know what's going to happen to people around you. So you really want to enjoy every day as it comes. And also that being said, that's why you always really want to fight for your time back. I'm a firm believer now, like, I really don't think the system, the U.S. governmental system was designed to benefit anyone, but the the ultra, ultra rich. I think it wants to keep people in a certain class. I think um, also from my taking property law and stuff like that, like, I think the, the laws are 100% racist, especially housing laws. There's all this stuff going on where the system is designed to keep people in a certain position, keep people down at a certain income level, certain race, things like that. And it's almost like, but even if you do well, and I experienced this on my taxes last year because my taxes were like, I owed the government a lot of money. 
It's like, you know, we want you to do well, but if you do too well, we're going to take all your money. It's like, what the fuck? Like, you know, this system wasn't designed really for, for anyone, but like people that really control the government. And that's going to go down the whole conspiracy thing. People are going to be like, oh, he's crazy. But realistically, it's what I've kind of realized the past year. You talked about law and I know you're pursuing a law degree. What made you like transition and pursue that education? So realistically, when I applied to law school, I was a burnt out home health PT. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to make more money. I was like, hey, I'm working my ass off. You know, I'm making a decent living, but I don't want to fucking sit here and check boxes in this tablet for the rest of my life. You know what I mean? Or deal with these cranky ass people in Alabama that are like, hey, I'm a I'm a diabetic and I'm going to wake up and drink Fanta every morning and, you know, not take care of myself. And it got to a point where it was like, OK, dude, like and even I talked to my wife about this now. My wife's a physician. And like, we see this a lot in the South where it's like, okay, she, she even said, she was like, Hey, you know, if you, if she, she didn't want to do surgery or ER or maybe oncology, she's like, there's no reason she would go into healthcare. Cause all these people, and especially in the South, they're just pieces of shit that don't care about themselves. They just drink, they eat, they don't want to do anything to make lives better. And like, so we're dealing with that on a consistent basis. It's very, very overwhelming because it's like, Hey, you know, you could exercise, you could eat healthy. You could do this. No. Well, you have open wounds. You just lost a toe. Yeah, that's what happens. It's like, are you serious right now? Like, you know how hard it is to deal with people like that? And I like, I was dealing with so much of it that I got to a point where it was like, they're like so whiny. They would call and complain. They, they're like, oh, well, I offered it. It was like during COVID. And they're like, well, he wanted to take his mask off and drink the tea I offered him. And that's just not Southern hospitality. And I was like, it's COVID. Like, shut up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so, so it's just things like that that were burning me out. But back to your question. I was a very burnt out home health PT. I was salary capped, scoped capped. Um, I think the only true area where you could practice at the top of your license as a PT is the military. Because in the military, you can order imaging, you can order meds. You actually actually act more like a MSK family doc. We actually, you know, use your education a bit more. But outside the military, you really don't have that privilege. And so it came to the point where it's like, you know, in home health, you have more of a privilege where you're actually doing more things like, you know, you're actually like taking vital signs, doing med racks, things like that, acting more like, you know, just checking on a more like nursing PA role in a sense. And um, so it's pretty high scope in my opinion compared to what you're doing medically. But what then happened was, was like, okay, like, you know, I've obviously scope and salary capped. I don't know what to do. How do I make more money? Because like, I don't want to do this forever. I don't, work, I don't want to work less or at least make more money. I was like, okay, well, if I be a healthcare attorney, I can you know, make 225K a year, um, probably, you know, have a bit of a more like, and actually get raises too, because I was looking at salaries, like healthcare attorneys make 225K and they get million dollar raises and stuff like that. But now that's completely changed. Now that I've actually grown my business and stuff like that, I'm like, oh, do I even want to continue with law school? And then my wife's like, well, you've gone like more than halfway, so you might as well just finish it. <laughs> like, but but now, now I use my law degree more to grow my business, right? So that's my thing too, is like, you know, I went I went to law school because I was a burnt up PT and I was like, I can make you know, a quarter mil a year doing this because I didn't realize what I knew now where I was like, okay, well, I can make a million dollars a year growing my business. But now actually with the law degree, I can, you know, then kind of take over more of a, a business coaching role and then give people actual solid legal advice on, you know, like how to grow your business, how to do things like that. And if I can actually use that legal knowledge and more of the business coaching role and be able to help more people than just being a healthcare attorney for a big corporation anyway. So that's kind of the path that that's went that that that's gone now you know i have a few semesters left and i'll be done am i going to take the bar exam probably not because i'm probably just going to be using my business and you know, by the time i graduate i think i'm going to be seeing 40 to 60k months based on projections so far so it's like why would i go take the bar exam to be an employee when i'm making 40 to sixty thousand dollars a month 
So like, you know, there's just something like that. And that's something people don't listen to this are like, what the fuck is he talking about? 40 to $60,000 a month. I never thought this would be possible for myself or for anyone really. But, you know, I talk to people all the time, making 80 to hundred K months. Some people make hundred K days. And it's like, you have to surround yourself or learn from people that are doing that. Cause then it becomes much more possible for you. I think it's pretty dope how you're able to leverage your um, law degree and not even take the bar and still make money. And I think that's cool because you can do that. Also do that with PT. Like you don't have to take your boards. Like there's people who haven't taken their boards and they have like online businesses and they're completely fine. So I think if you can find a way to leverage your education, then like there's no reason for you to pursue that next step if that's not in line with your ultimate goal. Yeah. And that's also with PTs too. You're, you're right. PTs hundred percent, if they market to the public, they can hundred percent leverage, help more people at once. Most just are afraid to be criticized. Most people, like I will say, most people are afraid to be criticized. You know, for me, I've gotten funniest messages probably where like some old guy, I kicked him out of my home health group because he was being a dick. And then he was like, he was like, fuck you dick breath. I've had like 20 years experience, whatever. So I just screenshotted that posted my Instagram story with his name. Like you want to play stupid games, you're going to win a stupid prize. Um, other people have said to me when I send emails like, hey, fuck you, take you off my email list. Like, I don't care about making money in the home health. You should care about your patients. And it's like, when it comes down to it, though, like, real realistically, I don't know why PDs don't like to hear this, but it's almost like, you know, you have the ability to take care of yourself and help more people. But if you don't take care of yourself first, you can't help anyone, right? And a lot of people don't realize that. But back to, to your thing on, you know, leveraging it, PTs can leverage to the public. They can leverage crazy amounts of knowledge on MSK and especially in the fitness space the, uh, and stuff like that. Sometimes the nutrition space too, they can do that. They just choose not to because they're afraid of criticism. But what's funny is the more pushback you get, that usually means you're actually going in the right direction. People want you to be successful until you're doing better than they are. That's usually how it goes. Um, you know, and people that actually like lift you up and care about you will want to see you go further. A lot of this goes back to too. And I talk about this a lot probably actually doing some some more content on this too. But a lot of it comes down to too, some PTs actually have, and actually everyone has the potential to really be, I kind of hit this earlier too, to be like, you know, the best version of themselves, but sometimes they're with the wrong person. And I think when you're with the wrong person who doesn't support you or your goals, you're never going to hit where you want to be. And too many people are like afraid of admitting that, you know, maybe their fiance isn't the right fiance. Maybe their girlfriend isn't the right, you know, uh, girlfriend or maybe their significant other isn't the right person and it's almost like that will set you back so many years um and i just think that people really don't understand the magnitude of choosing the wrong person to be with and then again being afraid to like you know hurt their feelings or get their feelings or be upset or be by themselves for a few days because they're codependent things like that will set you back so much further than anything else that's really true who you surround yourself with who you surround yourself with is is super important because just like you said, it can mess up trajectory or can skyrocket your trajectory. Um, but I had a quick question about PT school in general and how places, schools, more schools are charging 200, 200K just for tuition alone. Um, how would you go about changing the like PT school experience to make sure that if it's going to be that high of a price, how do you make it worth it? So I really don't think at that rate unless you have a business going in or some sort of something going on where you're making money as you go in, I would say maybe at that price, maybe a flex program. I really don't think that PT schools really should actually, I think all grad schools at this point should, should allow 
yeah, they should all allow flex programs or some ability of the worker make money where you're actually, you know, able to compensate some of it. But I think their price is too high. I mean, if you look at what people are getting, you know, no other business model would you pay 200K to make 65K on average. Like that business would be out of business so fast. But because it's a school, apparently, like, you know, they're just like, you know, kiss the ring, essentially, right? They're like the ones in power that have the power to give you the boards, the board rights and all of those things, your degree. So you kind of have to play the game. But when it ultimately comes down to it, I would say, you know, for people that are looking at PT school and they're seeing, saying, you know, 200, 300K, you need to start building a business immediately. That's the only way you're going to pay that off. Because with the interest rate and things like that, you're not going to pay it off as an employee. You're not going to be able to do things. And I'm not even telling you to pay off your loans. I'd say the best thing to do, honestly, would be, you know, get on a minimum IBR-based plan and then pay the minimum and use the rest of the money that you would be paying to invest. You'll make a lot more doing that. I talked about this um, actually on my podcast so like a year ago or so, where it's like, you know, people paid off 200K in student debt. Had they put it into Tesla? They would have turned that 200k into like 1.4 mil, paid off the loans, and had 800k left over, right? So, I always recommend paying the minimum on the loans unless it's a small amount you know you can pay off, and that's only if it's a federal loan. If it's a private loan, you kind of fucked yourself. Good luck. Um, but that being said, like you know, like when it comes to the the federal loans, pay the minimum, invest the difference that you would be paying, and you'll be so much further ahead than people that are just throwing money at that. Because to me, it's like throwing money at a depreciating asset, right? Too like, and again, your money's worth less over time, so the loans less with inflation at nine point one percent or reported nine point one percent currently. It's almost like you know that's literally just throwing money in the garbage. So if you're gonna throw money in the garbage, throw the least amount in the garbage as possible. Perfect. You answered my next question too. Because I was gonna ask, what's your thoughts on? paying back loans as quick as possible versus paying the minimum and extending it over time, investing into other things and making more money so that you can pay it back at a later time. Yeah. The only exception to that is private loans. And like, if that's the case for you, good luck. Mm. <laughs> All right. Y'all heard them, man. Don't get private loans. Um, I think I have an idea of how you're going to answer this, but it was one of the questions we got on Instagram. What separates the happy and successful PTs from the unhappy and unsuccessful PTs, in your opinion? So I think it goes back to a lot of things. Like, do you enjoy waking up in the morning? Do you enjoy you can you can be a happy and successful PT and you know, just like love what you're doing, love your love every day, even if you're working 40 hours a week and you're seeing like five to six patients an hour, you can love that, right? You can be happy and successful for you. Each person's definition of happiness and success is different, right? You know, for me, um, what I love about what I do is, you know, I can wake up, I can help thousands of people and it's so much more fulfilling than working one. I still actually do some cash pay and stuff like that because I still like doing, I like treating athletes, but also with cash pay, less notes, less regulations, things like that. But ultimately it's going to be like, you know, are you happy with the people you're around? Are you happy waking up next to your wife, significant other, things like that? You know, what's your attitude? Um, where I think the miserable PTs are ones that are stuck, you know, they kind of usually just have a lot of negative energy, usually take it home, you know, spread it on social media, don't want people to be successful and things like that. And a lot of it too comes down to, I think, um, actually physical health too. So not just mental health, but physical health. Like what's really funny is you look at a lot of the miserable PTs. They're mostly out of shape. They don't work out. They don't eat correctly. There's all these things that's like, okay, well, maybe that's contributing to your bad attitude. You know what I mean? So I think it's a huge thing there too. We're also, I think as a healthcare provider, you know, you almost have a responsibility to at least, you don't have to be ripped, but you have a responsibility to always try to be getting healthier, right? Trying to be the best version of yourself. 
And I would say the happy and successful PTs are probably always trying to be the best versions of themselves and have people around them that support them. They also lift others up where the negative ones tear others down and are not trying to be a good version of anything. Shout out to PT Twitter. <laughs> um, go ahead, Keith. You can, you can ask the next one. How do you, I just wanted to know with um, Brendan, how do you deal with like criticism online and the way you deal with it now, did you always deal with it that way? Or did you always respond to it that way? So I think at first it used to like personally like get to me, but then I was like, oh, okay, like whatever. What I've realized too with the criticism online, usually what happens is people don't actually argue my points. It's usually a personal attack. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, if this is a personal attack on me, you literally have nothing to say about my argument. So I clearly won the argument, especially when it goes to personal attacks. Like I've clearly won the argument at that point, right? Because there's nothing, nothing to argue. Um, also though, I kind of purposely invite it now at times though, because by purposely inviting it, it creates a reaction. Creating a reaction gets me an audience. Um, like like last year, I made a thing on Twitter where I was like, you know, you in PT school, you didn't learn how to learn how to wipe someone's butt. So why are you doing it for free, you know, at the skilled nursing facility? And everyone was like, you're such a piece of shit, blah, 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 blah. And then I was like, okay, you know, for context, here's a video. And I actually made one or two YouTube videos on it called like why PT should not wipe butts. It's on my YouTube channel if anyone wants to check it out. Um, and then so like, and then so everyone that was being mean to me. Like, I was like, hey, you know, like, here's my, here's my opinion. Here's some context. Why don't you go ahead and make a video response, right? And everyone was like, you're so, you're like, you're extra mean for making the video. And I was like, no, I was just providing context of, you know, like literally why you didn't learn this in PT school. It's not on your boards. You're also, um, you know, what you're actually doing is encouraging a staffing issue, right? Guess what? It's been a year later. Nobody's made a video response. So it's almost like, you know, they're going to attack me. And I was like, hey, you know, if you really want to debate this, let's make video responses or, you know, jump on the Zoom call and have a conversation. They refused all those things. They just want to be little keyboard warriors, right? So like when it comes to that, you have to understand most people actually don't have a valid point. Now, if they do have a valid point, I have to be a bit careful because sometimes I can be kind of a dick. Like earlier, I made a comment on Instagram and it's like this comment violates your guidelines. If you make a comment like this again, your account may be suspended. Because apparently I was like, I don't know, somebody says something to me and I was like, oh, that's something a pussy would say. And like, I was clearly just fucking around, but you can't say that apparently on Instagram. But that that being said, <laughs> that being said um, I didn't realize how filtered uh, Instagram and Facebook is now on, on speech. But like when it comes to the criticism and stuff, again, you know, that's going to be something that they're criticizing you. It's usually a jealousy factor coming from a place where they just don't feel good about themselves. Um most people, honestly, I think it's more of the law degree too. Like, like I know how to argue a lot better now. And I will argue just based on facts with a lot of people. And most most times, like somebody was arguing me just like I don't know, a few months ago and they're like, stop lawyering me. And I was like, okay, well, like, that's not how you win the argument. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> there's things like that, but realize that if someone's criticizing you, they're just jealous. It's coming from a, from a place where they're just jealous of you. Um, and, and again, like, over time, you just get used to it. You know, I know people like, um, you know, Greg and Aaron, they deal with stuff like daily on something like that where they get emails back and all the stuff. Um, so it's going to be, you know, just understand if you want to be successful, you're going to have to be able to deal with that. If you can't deal with it, just learn some coping mechanisms, mechanisms to like understand it's never coming from a place to directly attack you. One thing I am going to say, though, especially for you, is what's really, really funny is like, I think there needs to be more women entrepreneurs, especially in PT. Um, but it's not the guys holding you guys back. It's the other women holding each other back. <laughs> you know, like, so. I agree. I agree. Definitely. People are sensitive. We kind of have the same personality and viewpoint. I just, yeah, I just can't do that because I don't have the 
the money to be like, that's you yet. <laughs> oh, last question that I have, and I got it off of Instagram, and I kind of want to know this answer as well. So when you look for, when you're searching for like business credit, where do you, where do you go to look for that? And also like, what do you need to have in order before like applying for it? So I've self-funded everything myself so far. That being said, for business credit, I believe if you have an LLC and you go to a bank, I believe you can get up to $50,000, really no questions asked. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that is true. If you just go to a bank, they actually can give you a $50,000 line of credit. If you have an LLC, an EIN, and a business bank account. That being said, I don't recommend that unless you have you know $50,000 to pay it back. What's going to happen with business credit though, what's happened with me and like, I haven't taken these offers, but once I start making money online, right? Again, I make money through Stripe, I make money through PayPal, things like that. Once you start making money online, what's going to happen is like companies like Stripe will reach out to you and be like, Hey, we have a business line of credit for you. Or like, you know, PayPal will be like, Hey, we have a business line of credit for you. But usually that's the best way to go about it because you're more likely to get approved because they know that you make money because they can see your Stripe account. And they're like, okay, you know, we've already pre-approved you for this credit. So you can take it if you want it, but starting off, you're going to have to do that. That being said, you know, if you do take out a line of credit to start a business, make sure you have some sort of income where, you know, you can pay that off. I don't recommend taking out loans to buy things you can't pay back. You know, as PTs, I would say the most amount of loan that I would take out would probably be a $30,000 loan because worst case, you can go get a travel contract, pay that back in 13 weeks, right? Usually make up $30,000 on a travel contract in 13 weeks as a PT on average. So as a PT, I would say maybe don't take more out more out than $30,000. If you can't pay it back, you will be a traveler, you pay it back and it's and it's there, right? But, you know, I self-funded all my stuff so far. Will I use business lines of credits in the future? Maybe. But that being said, I just don't like really owing other people money. Um, so, I don't know. Okay, that, that answers the question. What's next for you and like your businesses in the next five to 10 years? So right now, my goal for this year has been, well, in May, I set the goal. So right now we're actually, uh, I'm writing a, a book on just financial stuff, more in-depth stuff I want to talk today. That's going to be like a free with shipping funnel book. Then we're also going building some courses and growing the coaching business and things like that. Currently, you know, my main goal is to help as many P many PTs as possible, kind of say like, like, you know, fuck you to the system and take their power back from the system. Like I, my goal is for every PT to have an amount of money where they're, they're like, Hey, I'm going to quit this job. And your employer is like, we'll give you more money. And you're like, no, nah, money doesn't matter to me. That's my goal is I want to help as many PTs get to that point as possible. Because when you have that, you kind of take your power back. You also kind of take back the profession. You take back so many things that is going to make you way happier than you, you know, like, hey, I have to go to this place for this paycheck because, you know, I need money right now. And if you can get to a point where no matter what they offer you, you can walk away from it. You're going to be happier. Your family's going to be happier. You're going to be able to do more for other people. One thing, too, the main reason I'm increasing my income isn't, isn't for me. Like, yeah, I can have nice things and do things like that, but it's mostly so I can give things back to my community. I can, you know, give give awards, give trips, grow the coaching business grow these things or, you know, just do cash giveaways, stuff like that. And in doing so, I'm able to help more people in certain ways. Or maybe, you know, one thing I want to do is I'll get to a point where it's like, hey, you know, do you need, you know, like funding for like NPTE for like stuff like that? I can like give that to people as a grant or, you know, application stuff because applications are getting expensive for students. Um, so like, it's like, I'm just trying to help as many people as, I po as possible, especially PTs, because I feel like a lot of us, a lot of us were like, oh, you know, our CAPTI said, you know, what's APTA Vision 2020? 2020 rolled around. Never mind. You know what I mean? So it's almost like 
we got in a situation where it's like we paid a lot of money, were sold a lot of things that ultimately turned out to not be true in many avenues. And I'm trying to almost correct that. So I like that. And I think like having the the capital to do that, you probably make more of a difference than the APTA does. And I don't see why there's so much like backlash when you're trying to make a difference. It's just not in the traditional way or like the way people would think about it. I don't see why like some people have such an issue with you doing that. I think it's pretty dope. But I also think people don't have the context that they don't know he's trying to do that. They just see what he puts out there and then assume like he's like that person. They, they don't know the deeper reasons why he wants to go after things. I agree. That that plays a role too. But yeah, I'm not gonna say what I'm gonna say. That I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brenda, you're giving us a lot of value, and I think this is one that's people are gonna have to listen to, myself included, multiple times. What would you say? One to two big takeaways that you want people to take away from this conversation today. So the takeaway is going to be number one, you know, figure out what makes you happy and why it makes you happy. Number two, figure out what doesn't make you happy and why it doesn't make you happy. And then I'll say number three is figure out what you can do to remove the second part and what you can do to increase the first part. I love the simplicity. I love that. That was fantastic. Uh, Brandon, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to come out of your pod. Come on the pod. No, you got a lot going on. Super busy. Where can people find you if they have more questions or plug plug all your stuff, plug all your courses, your discords, all that stuff. So the best way to find me and interact with me is just um, on Instagram at, at dr.smith underscore dpt. So at Dr. Smith underscore D, or dr.smith underscore dpt. Best way to find me. Lots of links there. I do have my my Patreon with multiple coaching tiers and stock tiers and stuff like that, patreon.com for Dr. Smith DPT. Um, there's the home health metric course. If you Google home health metric, that will come up. My YouTube, just Google um, our Brandon Smith, it will come up. But the best way to probably contact me and actually you know, get contacts, context for a lot of things is probably going to be the Instagram. And if you don't have any social media, you can email me at drsmithdpt at gmail.com. So there's no options. There's no excuses. No excuses. There's a way. There's a way to contact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just wanted to just wanted to say thank you again for coming on the pod. I think this was a a great episode that I think a lot of people are going to take a lot from if they sit and listen to what was actually being said. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. It was great talking to you. We'll have you on again in the future. <laughs> All right. All righty. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Key and Mang Audio Experience. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Key and Mang Audio Experience. Make sure to subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review, and we'll catch you in the next episode.